Thanks for downloading this podcast from The Rock of York. We hope it inspires you. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can get in touch with us on Twitter, at The Rock of York, or search for The Rock of York on Facebook. And of course, there's the website at www.rockofyork.co.uk. But you probably already knew that. Here's something you might not know. said much about the trip to uh, uh, Austin and Salt Lake. Um, that's partly because um, there's a context to some of it, so it, it, um, it wouldn't be uh, it wouldn't be good to, to particularly share that. One thing that was interesting because it's like <coughs> it's like the whole thing is dominoes. <coughs> so one domino gets touched and it hits another domino, it's another domino. And lots of crazy little things like uh, <coughs> flying out to um, flying out to um, uh, Atlanta on the way there. First time I flipped on the um, you know on, on the screen on the plane on your in your seat, you have they have a, a map that shows you where you are. First time I flipped it on, where am I next to York, York, Pennsylvania, right there on the screen. It's just. So we were passing York on the way to somewhere, which was the really the whole point of it. But uh, just one one interesting thing was in um, in Ogden, where we're really making the strong connection that will give us the doorway for Salt Lake, should we feel we need to take it. Um, one of the main guys I met there who who really latched on is a guy called Paul Widmark, and uh, he's he's one of the associate pastors, and. Um, uh, what was interesting was um, I, I met Paul on the first day in Ogden and we, we sat and had a coffee and I started sharing him some of the, the journey that brought us to this day. Well, I could see he was very moved, you know, extremely moved. And I'm, I'm trying to be, I'm trying to be um, uh, a little bit withdrawn on it, not wanting to be too forthright, you know, um, <clears throat> but... Um, then he said, oh, I said, you don't know what this means to me, he said, because um, I didn't know, but his, his father um, had been in ministry um, and knew people like, those of you know people like Catherine Kuhlman and all those guys, his father knew them personally. He said, and I haven't heard anybody talk the way you talked about being led by the Lord to Scott's Bluff and a word from God and God doing things and get, said, I haven't really heard anybody talk about it since my father died. So he was, he was really moved. But the other part of the story was, he said, for the last 14 days, he said, I've been praying, God, please send somebody because I'm so darn confused about what I'm thinking at the moment. And I, I feel like a heretic because the thoughts I'm having just don't line up with some of the thoughts I'd had. He said, now, for 14 days, he was praying um, and then I come on the scene, of course, and start talking about all the things that he's been wrestling with, all the, the questions, which a lot of the journey that we've made, a lot of the things that we've discussed and talked about, um, that Paul had not found an outlet to be able to address. He said, I thought I was either going nuts or losing my faith or something. But So he absolutely drunk me dry. I mean, we just spent hour after hour just... Um, you know, he just wanted to know everything. You know, just tell me more about what? Well, about anything that has anything to do with all of this stuff. So, uh, um, so you know, we, we, 
it was a good connection. He just emailed me this week just thanking me. He said that was a 14 days he prayed, God, please send me somebody. Um, and then, and then uh, yours truly turned up at the right time. Now, you know, I don't claim that to be my doing, but it's, you know, we're on a wonderful flow of if we just keep hearing God, or, or should I say if we just keep listening to what God is saying and being obedient to that, then there's all these little things along the way that... Um, that just miraculously confirmed. Some of the other stuff that, that happened is quite ridiculous, and I'll, I'll tell you sometime, um, you know, how all that, uh, how all that works. Um, even putting random addresses in, in the sat-nav, and yeah, well, that's a story for another day. Uh, so thanks for being here. Uh, we wanted to continue. Chris, Chris hadn't been well this week, and of course I tried to tie her down, but... She said, no, I'm feeling better and I just really feel I want to, I want to kick off where we were. I want to share some things. So, so I've given her permission. Uh, I've, I've been encouraging her. It's all right. It's all right not to do it, you know. If you're, So I appreciate it. I appreciate that. But uh, that's how we were raised as well. So uh, Chris is going to share tonight. And I think this leads us on. We were already talking in the, in the car about where this leads us to and what we need to talk about. From this, so again, it's going to stretch you a little bit. It's going to test your thinking. But um, what we are doing is we are talking about things that most of the church avoids. It doesn't want to have the conversation about, you know, who did the sons of God, you know, when it says the sons of God slept with the sons of men. They don't want to talk about it. Now I can understand why. Um, but the issue is you have to have an open spirit to be able to understand some of the things that I think Chris will talk about with the blending of cultures on that and where that leads us. But I hope you've understood enough from what we've talked about even these last two weeks that this wonderful golden thread um, just makes not, it doesn't put a question mark over what we believe. It actually shines a spotlight on it and says it's more amazing than we ever imagined because it, it survives the test comes all the way through and gives us a clear revelation of what God's purpose is for us. So I bless you, have ears to hear and uh, eyes to see and we'll see where that leads us tonight. Thank you. <clears throat> now I don't know whether um, you need any little um, recap um, on anything, do you? No, just keep going because um, there's probably quite a few of you who haven't um, um, sort of uh, been at any of the sessions you might have listened online um, but what I would like to I mean I'm already done sort of an introduction um, but what we have learned definitely over the last few weeks maybe I should just uh, turn this back just for a second is that uh, you recognize that we, you know the, the title of this um, talk is about you know what what is the bible and how has it become what it has become, and we're, we're, we're looking within it to get more information. Um, but the reason why we wanted to do it is because it's very much the mainstream Christian um, understanding that first of all, that the Bible is infallible and it's inerrant. Now you say, well, aren't, you, aren't we Christian? Well, yeah, we're supposed to be. But then we've got to decide, is everything that's written in the pages of the Bible, is it without fault? Is it without any error? And some of the things you read, you, you have to question. And 
we, we recognize that the best word for it is this, it's inspired, because running through it, you get this thread which is leading us to truth, even when you maybe is looking at a story that you actually think to yourself, how can any of that relate or, or be applicable to me in my life? There is a thread that's running through it, if only we can find it. Um, but then most people read the Bible for themselves and then they really struggle because they're left wondering what on earth is going on. So that covers that a little bit. So we, we learned that the, ch uh, the newly emerging church basically brought together a whole bunch of um, uh, scrolls that had been found and they decided if, if it supported the newly emerging church and their idea of what it ought to be, they put it in this book and they made it into a canon a closed canon, which meant nothing could be added, nothing could be taken away, which was a daft idea. Because why, if God is really who he says he is, would there ever be such a thing as a closed canon? And I think that what has happened even over the last uh, few hundred years, there have been things that have been found, like the Dead Sea Scrolls, that have actually given information that actually supports a lot that's in the Bible, but actually gives new stuff. But of course, the new stuff can't be included because it's a closed canon. And it's basically saying that God doesn't speak anymore and he's finished what he had to say. And we know that that's not true, don't we? We're also finding as well that, that there is a bit of a, a confusion while reading the Bible because we think that there's just this one idea running through it when actually there's many and there's these uh, four particular and it doesn't matter it could be Susan Bob Mary whoever it doesn't matter but it's their particular view of um, how things were and so when you're reading it the Eloise will talk in a particular way using particular names and particular ideas the Deuteronomists and, and these all do the same so you can be reading a particular book of the Bible and you can actually find that the, 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 the style is changing as you're going through it and you're thinking, hang on a minute, what's going on here? Well, it's because there's different writers and it was put into chapters to make it look all very nice and neat, but it actually isn't neat at all. It's very messy. And it's, it shows you how if you try to make something uh, neat out of something that's very organic and living, you can actually end, end up in a bit of trouble and that's really what has what has happened anyway in some of the uh, other um, sessions that we've had we talked about how the Yahwist very much promoted a god who was a god of war and we realized that that was what western christianity in many ways have adopted this god of war and you can understand why uh, israel might have done that because they were a very small nation, a little, they were actually nomadic tribes at first that were wandering around and they were becoming something. Now, when you're becoming something, you find the best things to support your case and your propaganda, don't you? And so the Yahwehs decided instead of potentially, and I say that because, you know, there are other things that you can read in the Bible that, that sort of go against this, but there are also things that, that promote it, that they went from being um, polytheistic to being monotheistic. Now, that's a good idea because they basically get rid of all these other little lesser gods and actually uh, adopt for themselves Yahweh, who is then the supreme God, and he's the most high, and he's the one who's calling all the shots. And that's what makes 
Israel identifiable as this great nation because they've got this great God, blah, blah, blah. Is that, does that help? Sort of, so, and then, of course, we've got the priestly writers who are basically supporting what should and shouldn't be done, who should be included, who shouldn't be included. And it's really interesting that you still get that going on today. What does the church do? And I can put my hand up and say, we don't do it here. Yes? It says, who can be in? Who's excluded? You've got to be this, you've got to be that. And the church, mainstream as a rule, still follow this idea because they haven't understood that what came was this golden thread, which was actually going to, the, the trajectory was towards Christ, who was going to abolish it all uh, and make one new thing out of it all, right? So I hope that's helped a little bit um, because it's hard to recap all of it. So I hope that sort of helped a little bit. Now, I'm th sort of touched on, um, oh, let me just say one thing. We notice as well in the Bible, there's a lot of what's called cult cultural borrowing because you find that, you know, when Anthony was talking the, the other week about the flood, the flood is a story that is used by many different nations and around the particular area of Mesopotamia where the flood uh, happened to happen, you can imagine they're all going to use it for their own ends because they'll say, oh, God was mad, therefore... This is what he did. So whether you're a Sumerian, now the Sumeria is a, not Samaria, Sumeria. Uh, it's actually up in Mesopotamia, then there's Assyria, there's Babylon. All those nations around there all had a flood uh, story. And the flood stories are always about new beginnings because it's God's mad. He's fed up of all this going on, so what we need is a flood. A bit like what we'd say nowadays, I know this sounds a bit awful, but I know my mum and dad used to say it. They used to say when things got bad, what you needed was a war, because what the war did was sort of bring everything back to some sort of a, 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 a neutral place where everybody then realised, isn't this awful? And everybody pulls together to start again. Now, I know that's a horrible illustration, but it's, it's, it is a, a, a statement that actually is used quite regularly. People say, well, what you need is a war. That'll sort it all out. Well, I, I don't want a war, and none of you should want a war. It's awful. Anyway, I'm, 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 this is my introduction. Um, so where was that? What had I just said? Oh, yeah. So the floods was not necessarily borrowed from these other nations it might have been totally experienced because it wasn't the world as in the, the, the total um, uh, area that was totally covered it was the world that they knew at that time which made sense I mean think about the tsunami their world was flooded I mean there was no nothing that you could see their world was flooded and uh, it was what they were in at that time so cultural borrowing is something that we uh, we know happens. And um, if you study any of other, um, let, let's call them origin stories or creation stories, because there's many around. There's not just the Bible, there's many around. You'll find that there's a lot of similarities. And you think, oh, that's interesting. Like, for instance, I was reading today, there's a, um, um, 
one particular Mesopotamian religious religion is about these angels that come down and they bring with them a copper box. And in the copper box is all the wisdom of the gods, which are then given to the people. Now, that sounds really quite fantastic, doesn't it? And how lovely. That's their story. This copper box comes down. Now, what we found when we were in um, Salt Lake City, we went into the Mormon Museum. Their story, guess what they've got? A copper box. Now, I think, oh, wow, that's really interesting. And it's not that you decide, oh, they're fibbing or whatever. No, it's a shared story that's made Is this making sense? So there's a lot of cultural borrowing. Now, that doesn't mean because things have been borrowed that they're not necessarily true. Are you with me? Now, you, you can say which came first. You know, did, did the Israelites pinch it from a, a, an older... Uh, story and make it their own or did they experience it for themselves those are questions that we can ask but anyway coming back to what we're going to talk about tonight and this is this is an interesting one I think we'll have a bit of fun actually uh, no we won't because you lot don't have fun do you do you have fun um, continuing a little bit with the flood because we talked about whether the flood was this wrath of God that was brought onto the, the world as they knew it at the time because of all the corruption and the sin that was in the world. Now, what I'm going to do tonight is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring you an alter, alternative theory. Don't you like them? Not just because I'm pulling it out of thin air or culturally borrowing it from somewhere. I'm actually looking at the Bible and actually using the Bible to say what may have happened. Now, we all talk about, and again, Forgive me if I get ahead of myself because I tend not to be able to follow notes. I can look at them all day and it makes sense to me. But when I stand here, it's like, it's like I'm dyslexic and I just don't know what they are. So just forgive me if I sort of, sort of rub it on a little bit. The flood, right? We don't like the idea of a God who is supposed to love people basically saying you're so bad and you're so horrible that basically we're just going to, I'm going to wipe you out. I don't like that idea, do you? I just don't like it at all. I don't feel that that is the God that Jesus of the New Testament is, is, is introducing us to or pushing us towards. Now, so we can make ways of saying, well, it was because of this or it was because of that or because of the other. But there is a, way, there is a story running through the Bible that you might find interesting. And it starts in Genesis chapter 6. Now, this particular story... When I was a kid, I absolutely loved it. And Ants already mentioned it because he stole my thunder. But he, he, uh, he mentioned it at the beginning. In Genesis chapter 6, we have the story of the Nephilim. Now, even the name Nephilim sounds exciting, doesn't it? You know, who are these? Sorry, I thought you were shouting for the first time ever. I thought you were shouting at me. Um, we've got these Nephilim going on. And I used to say to, to, to my mother and, and my dad, it's like... It's like this story, it's like where fantasy meets reality, where somehow in the Bible that's all so right and all so proper, you've suddenly got this funny thing going on. And could you get anybody to tell you what it was about? And because the truth was they didn't know and they weren't going to help me. Now, have you read Genesis chapter 6 about the Nephilim or not? Who has? Hands up. Yes or no? Oh, so there is a few. Okay, so this is where it's going to get fun. And I'm just going to read you a couple of verses. 
And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair. I don't know whether that means blonde, but anyway. And they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not always strive with men, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. That's funny that he should come in with that there, but you know, we'll look at that another time. There were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God, remember we've had sons of God already, came in unto the daughters of men and they bare children to them. The same became mighty men, which were of old, men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now, of course, then it goes on to say that he decides, God decides to flood the earth. But... We aren't looking at what has just gone before. Who are these giants? Who are these sons of God? What is being produced by them? And could this possibly be the reason why the flood is about to happen? Now, when people say, well, it can't be because there's no such thing as, as giants, that might be true. But if we're saying that what's in the Bible is potentially true, then we have to at least handle it we have to look at it. So, we, instead of then saying that the reason why God flooded the, flooded the earth was just because people were sinful, he actually potentially could have flooded the earth because the story was much bigger than that because stuff was going on that had got really out of hand. Now, if we're not talking about people, then it's a little different. Now, I'm not saying it's totally different because I'm still not sure I like the idea of total annihilation of, of things, but it is a bit different and I want you just to follow me for, for a little bit. Right, we've talked about this in the past. We talked about the Elois because basically where you see the, the term sons of God, it is not talking about, um, about sons of God as in we are sons of God. We're all the children of God. It's actually talking about an, a, a heavenly being. It's part of the divine counsel that existed. And I'll give you scriptures to do it if I have time. I don't want to sort of get hung up in scripture, but I can prove this if, if you see what I mean. Um, so these uh, Nephilim, the sons of God, were, were uh, maybe that, oh, I should maybe write this down. Beneha Elohim, back to Elohim's source, it's the name of sons of God, meaning heavenly beings. And it wasn't just heavenly beings as in angels, it was fallen heavenly beings. Now, in order then to move on, we almost have to go back to say, well, how did the fall but we're not going to do that tonight. We're just going to take it. Is that okay? Because each thing takes us somewhere else and we'll just be going off. So we're staying with this at the, at the minute. So it says that these sons of God, these heavenly fallen angels, basically got with these women, daughters of Eve on the earth, and they had relations with them and they produced children and they were called giants. Now, the first question is, is that possible? 
Because, I mean, obviously, we want to, you know, it, 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 is this likely to have happened? Um, let me just go back a little bit to give you a bit of a, um, you know the scripture in Job where it says, we used to sing a song, actually, when it says, when the morning stars, stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Do you remember that song we used to sing? That's actually not talking about the sons of God as in us. It's actually talking about the sons of God, the angelic host, which were in the beginning with God when he created everything. So they were with God right from the very beginning. This is not something that just turned up later on. So there was a, something happened that made these angels fall, if we're accepting that this is the truth. I'm just popping it in the pot. Um, and basically... Um, these sons of God we see here were actually interacting with uh, the women and ha having children. So, question, you know, is that possible? Well, if we go again to Job, and if I can find the, the scripture here, in Job 4.13, it, it's the story of, of Job's trouble. Now, I know some of you might not know the story and I can't sort of cover it all. But basically, Job's existence was around the time of the flood. So we've actually got a connection there with timings where people would understand a very similar language. So to talk about uh, the angelic host, talking about the divine counsel, talking about... Because if you, if you notice, um, it's in Job where we find that right at the beginning... Uh, God gets together all his divine counsel and that's when Satan turns up because it wasn't just the good angels that were there, it was the bad angels as well. They all got together and had, had a chat about how things were going, etc. But anyway, this, in this story, Eliphaz, one of uh, Job's friends, uh, he's having a bit of a rant and he's, he's, he's talking and uh, in, in verse 13 to 18, and I won't read it all, he gets on with stuff and he's asking questions and he says this, shall a man be more pure than his maker? He's obviously talking about God and, and Job. And then he says, behold, he puts no trust in his servants. And then this next little bit is interesting. And he, his angels, he charged with folly. Ooh, folly, folly. Now, that's a really weird word, isn't it? You think, come on, modernize. But you see, if you look at the definition of folly, it's an act of disgrace. So the, the act of folly that, that God charged his angels with at the time of Noah and the flood, right, because that's the connection, was this act of disgrace. Now, you have to look then at other parts of the scripture to find out what exactly is this talking about. The word folly in the Old Testament is actually re referring to disgraceful connections sexually with people. You've got the story of, of, of Dina, the, the, the daughter of, of Leah. And I'll just read a line just to give you the connection. It says, because he had wrought folly in Israel, in lying with Jacob's daughter. Lying, you know, having relations with the daughter. So folly is the word used for that sort of disgraceful behavior. Now you might say, what's this disgraceful about it? Because there was very strict rules about who you should go with and who you shouldn't go with. It might be old fashioned now, but it, there was some reasons to it and we, we can always talk about them at another time. 
There's another one in, um, uh, that was in Genesis 34, Deuteronomy 22, and it says, this is about somebody else, because she hath wrought folly in Israel, she will be stoned and, and put out of her father's house. Folly, right, and this is all to do with basically um, wrong sexual relations or in the wrong place, the wrong time with the wrong people. That makes sense. So when it says that his angels are charged with folly, we know that there is something to do when it says, and the sons of God took wives of the daughters of Eve. Can you see how, how that works there? Equally, we've got the story of um, Tamar and um, Amnon, the son of David. It also says this, do not do this folly. That's in Samuel. And if you remember, that was the incest between the, the brother and the sister. So we know that there's a connection there. Um, so I'm not just making it up, right? So we can see when, the, when God charged the angels with the sin of folly, we understand that there's a connection there, right? So we move on. If you look in the book of uh, Peter and Jude in the New Testament, it's very interesting. It says, and the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation. Where would the angel's habitation be? It would be heavenly, not earthly. It says this, He has uh, put in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Now, what's wonderful about that is that basically it's saying they're sorted. So whatever happened in the flood, God was saying, these who have committed this terrible act and done this, I'm going to sort them in the flood and I'm going to grab them and I'm going to put them in chains. So they're sorted. According to Peter and Jude, it says, they're out the way. They're not going to bother anybody anymore. Um, and it says this, for going after strange flesh. Now, what would be strange flesh? If you're a human being and you fall in love with somebody, it's not strange flesh, is it? Do you get me? So it had to be something unusual. It had to be something different. And basically, it's speaking of this time during the, during the flood. So, if you're following me now, you can see that these fallen angels came down to earth, decided that they were going to, can we use the word folly? They were going to do some folly, follyful things. <laughs> follyful. Hey, that's all right, isn't it? Follyful things. So, um... You've also got even the, uh, the illustration of Sodom and Gomorrah, which a lot of people get incredibly mixed up about and think it's purely to do with one thing. You've actually got the fact that the, 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 these fallen angels were actually there because there is a, a point where the, these angels turned up a door, uh, at the door and they're saying, come on, let's, let's go and have a, an orgy somewhere. So it's there, it's written, so I'm not making it up as I go along. So anyway, here we have these giants. So, and of course they're called mighty men, uh, men of renown. And of course, because they were fallen angels, you have potentially them being very powerful. And you can also see where other, remember we talked about cultural borrowing, where you get your idea of the titans and you get your idea of the, what, what do you call them, the one with the one eye in the middle? Cyclops. I mean, it's all making sense, isn't it? You can see where the store is. And the, the, the one with the lots of heads, you know. <laughs> Whoever he was. Anyway, 
So you've got this, leg- this thing about legendary heroes who were part God and part man. You can see it, can't you, where it might come from. So here's the issue now. You might say, well, how, how did all this happen? What was, what was going on? Now, I find this really interesting. Um, if we go to um, Genesis 3, 14, 15... I, when I saw this, I was just out my head and I'm thinking, I've been in, let's call it this, all my life and I have never, ever seen this. Never. Listen to this. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, this is the, the basically creation story in uh, chapter three of, of the Bible. And it says this, because thou hast done this, I'm sorry this is King James, but actually it's, the King James actually gives me better words to give to you. I know it's old-fashioned English, but you'll see in a minute. Um, because you have done this, you are cursed above all cattle, above all beasts of the field. Upon your belly shalt thou go. Now, what's amazing about that? That word, on your belly thou shalt go, it means utter defeat. I never realised that was utter defeat. You just think, well, you're just going to slither on your belly. No, utter defeat and dust shalt thou eat all the days of your life. That means that you will live in degradation. That's that word. And you're thinking, that is massive. But that isn't what I'm talking about yet. I've got to get you somewhere better. But isn't that, that's massive. Because we have a declaration of defeat right there, right then, of whatever this serpent figure is, right? But this is brilliant. Look at this. And if you've seen it already, is it up there? Look at this. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. Has the penny dropped yet? Oh, Jenny just got it. I will put enmity between, and enmity just means hostility, hatred, Between thee and the woman, so the serpent and the woman, whoever he is and whoever, I know she's Eve, but are you following me? And between thy seed and her seed. What is the seed of the serpent? Ooh. What is it? So, could it be that the serpent seed is this interaction trying to corrupt the seed of humanity so that rather than a pure human race, there's this mixing of genes going on. I'm only saying possible. Look, this is Bible. I'm not making it up. In order to stop the potential for us, that a saviour to be born. Because you mix it until it's so badly screwed up. What's, I, I, does that make sense? But this is interesting. Between thy seed and her seed, there's going to be enmity. There's going to be hostility. So that means that there's seed somewhere. And, and as I was uh, studying this today, I gets in the can. I said, you know, what this study is about today, it's about seed. It's about seed. Now, we know that the seed of the woman that was talked about here is Christ because it goes on to say this, listen, 
it shall bruise thy head, talking to the serpent, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And so we know that this is the prophecy of what was going to happen to Christ. He was going to be, his heel would be bruised because it, it didn't work. Even though he was crucified, he rose from it. So he was bruised and his heel was bruised. But it says here that his, the head of the serpent would be basically crushed. So we've got something incredible prophecy there, but there's this seed. Right, so let's, so what's, what is the serpent's seed? Well, of course, we've got the fact that right from the beginning, and oh, I've read some stuff today which will make your hair stand on end. We've even got talk of, you know, uh, Eve basically um, having sex with the serpent and basically having the first child who is Cain. I don't know whether anybody's ever read that. And that's why Cain was a murderer because he had the murdering spirit right from the beginning. I don't know whether I go with that because this is why, and remember, when, you, when you're doing research, always think about it in the context of the rest of the things you've come to understand. If God, after Cain had killed his brother, put a mark on him so he wouldn't be killed, how could Cain then be a child of a demigod or of Satan? Because why would God want to protect Cain? He said, no, you're mine. I'm going to make you. Okay, you might have done a bad thing, but I'll tell you what, I'm not going to let anybody hurt you. So you see what I'm saying? Cain might be, be a problem, but I don't think he's as much of a problem as people try to make him. I think he's loved, but I do think that there, are, uh, there is a proof of what the seed of, of the serpent is, and we're going to get to it in a, in a little minute. So let me just say this. After Cain kills his brother, Eve says, she, she gets pregnant, she's having another child, and um, she says that God has given me another seed instead of Abel, and he was called Seth. Now, it's important that you know that Seth um, is the line then from uh, Adam through till after Noah, after the flood, there were all the Sethites, because he was the one who led the generation in that sense. There were the Sethites because obviously Cain had gone, uh, Abel had gone. Cain is, in, is wandering somewhere. So you have Seth that now becomes the, 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 the leader of, of, of the family in, the, in that sense. So, but the very fact that Satan would have a seed is, for me is quite interesting. Um, so then we go to the scripture that's usually uh, talked about most when we talk about the flood and it's that and God saw that there was only evil in the heart of man and I find it interesting that the Bible would revert after talking about the Nephilim and talking about such a degree of of, of troublesome activity to then point the finger at man when all of this is going on don't you find that interesting well I'd, and I haven't got an answer to that. But what we have in that, that scripture is that, and God saw that the intentions of man's heart was evil all of the time. Now, I don't know. I've got my little theory. Is it because the moment that any potential for power is given? So you have a, a potential to get with a, uh, somebody who's a bit uh, grand or giantish I don't know what else to say a bit superhuman you think to yourself oh here's my opportunity I'm going to go with that because it's going to make me something I don't know whether that's in the heart of man that they always want more than what they've been given 
rather than being satisfied to know that they're loved by God and to just uh, walk with him in that relationship, it's like there's something greater. Maybe it's like, I don't know. That's just I'm throwing that in the pot. But anyway, there was a lot more going on if we go with this theory that, like I say, it's, it, it sort of can be proved in the Bible. So, so instead of believing that the flood was just God's way of being really quite petty and nasty uh, to human beings, the flood is a good idea in the context of what God is saying, I've got to annihilate because we're not talking just about people anymore. We're talking about these, these, these hybrid, the people who have been produced by the Nephilim who are now running rampant in the, in, in the world, causing absolute havoc. Now, like I said at the beginning, I'm not sure that that's still justifiable, but you can see why it might be okay. Am I making sense? Because you're looking at me funny. You're thinking, all right, that's okay. You can look at me funny, I really don't mind. So anyway, we've got this situation going on. Now, so what was the flood's purpose then? To destroy the Nephilim giants, to punish the angels who committed those uh, things in the first place. And we talked about them being in chains because it says in Peter that that's where they are. They've been put in chains waiting for the judgment. Um, and to basically save humanity from certain destruction. Although, again, that's a bit of a, a contradiction because man was being destroyed as the cleansing of whatever it was that had to be done was being done. So there was a destruction anyway. But anyway, we'll, we'll move on. Anyway, then we come to a lovely scripture that's great. And it says this, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now, what I like about this is for me, suddenly, boom, golden thread. We've, we've got it. We've got the golden thread. Because if we're talking in terms of Old Testament God and Old Testament Yahwehism, or even, even the fact of the pantheon of the gods that were adopted by the Elohim. Grace doesn't come into the equation at all. There's no grace. It's just that you're in the wrong place, or you've not done the right thing, so zap, you, you know, you're included. But um, it says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now, it says that Noah was a just man and perfect in his generation. Now, I always wondered what that meant, because... Um, we know that there's nobody perfect, don't we? We know there's nobody perfect. So that can't mean he's perfect, perfect, <laughs> in the sense of flawless. But it must mean something there and then. Now, what, what is suggested that if this storyline is right, he was 100% human. He was perfect. He was whole. He was without blemish in the context that he hadn't been messed with by this other gene or this other yeah, gene pool that had been introduced into humanity. So he was perfect in his, in his generation. So the word perfect as well is lovely because it's the same word that's used when it talks about when you chose a lamb as an offering. It had to be perfect without blemish. So it meant that it was, um, it was 100% usable. See what I mean? It was, it was perfect for the, for the situation there. So Noah had three sons. And um, we know that they went into 
the ark and we know that he, they took the, their, their three wives and we know that there was Mr. and Mrs. Noah, right? But if we go back to the verse we read right at the beginning in Genesis chapter uh, 6, it doesn't just say there were giants in the earth in those days. It says, and also after that, which is a real pain in the butt because you want to say, okay, we've had the flood. It's wiped out the, the Nephilim. The Nephilim are now in chains waiting for judgment day because of what they've done. And all of this uh, DNA gene pool of whatever's been introduced to try and mess up the, the line of, of, of the Messiah coming, because he had to be 100% human, um, has, has been sorted out. But then it comes, it says, and also after that. So we have a problem that the giants, after the flood, still turn up on the earth. And you think, oh, why? How? What on earth is going on? And what was the point of God doing what he did, having a flood, destroying the world as they knew it, if only to find that they're still there afterwards. Do you like that sort of question? I do. It keeps me alive, I'll tell you. I, I, <laughs> so anyway, how did they return? So, basically, think about it. If we go with this theory, there had to be some on boat, hadn't there? Ooh. Oh, this is interesting, isn't it? So, the giants turn up again when we're in Numbers 13. And you'll know the story because the land of Canaan, and I'll tell you about Canaan in a minute, is where the spies are sent by... No, they weren't sent by Joshua and Caleb. The spies were... Joshua and Caleb and they went to spy out this land that God said they were going to inherit and um, basically they come back and they had a good report but there was a whole bunch that didn't because guess what they saw giants oh this is the stuff of films isn't it we ought to make one it'd be, be great and uh, they're even saying they're that big now, I'm going to say something that Anth, Anth's already decided it's not true, but you go Google it. Go Google giants that have been found in the world and decide whether they've been photoshopped or whatever, but you can find page after page of these giants that have been found in archaeological digs in France, in America, in Mesopotamia, all over the place. And we, I don't know. And I, I don't know, but just go and have a look. But anyway, that would if that's true, I mean, they found dinosaurs, for crying out loud. Why can't they find a giant? This one's real. <laughs> I love it, I love it. Okay, so anyway, they find the giants. Now, what's interesting here is that in this verse it says and we saw the giants the sons of Anak now isn't it interesting that they're not called the Nephilim here it's actually got a name in the sons of Anak now it's interesting that the that you could say that the the first ones are these Nephilim and then the giants have names because they're not the sons of God with it's like second generation, if you, if you see what I mean. 
And um, what's interesting in the Sumerian uh, story, they have huge giants and things, and they're called the Anunnaki. Now, Anak, Anunnaki, you think, hello. Is there any connection there? I don't know, but look, let's keep going. So um, what's interesting as well is that another piece of information that came out of the land of Canaan was the fact that they're saying it's so fantastic because two men had to carry one bunch of grapes on a pole. Now listen, I used to sing a song in church many, many years ago, and it was about where the, come on over into Canaan, where the grapes of Vesquil grow and the milk and honey flow. Come right up. Yeah, yeah, right? But nobody ever told me, hang on a minute, those grapes, the reason why they're that big is because they have been grown by giants who have got something amazingly clever because everything's subnormal. Like Gulliver's Travels. Yeah, it sort of is, isn't it? But you see what I'm saying? We can get all hung up about, oh, this is fantastic because this is what it's meant to be like. But in fact, it was a problem. We never questioned it. We thought it was about provision and, oh, you know, when we, when we know God, we get grapes that there is the size of cars. And I've never understood it. I'm thinking, oh, what, what, what were we doing? See, they were operating with something that was a bit non, let's call it non-human. Are you laughing at me or it? The grapes, yeah, they had to be carried on a, on a big, on poles. Uh, kid you not, you can find it, it's in the Bible, go find it. Or better still, still we'll sing this song on Saturday. That'll be fun, won't it? So, the land that the children of Israel have been told by God that they must possess, think about it is now filled with giants. Oh, so when we start talking about when they come out of, of, of Egypt and they're told, as you go into the land, kill everything in sight. Oh, now we might have a different story going on. Because it's not just ordinary people. We're talking about a race that are actually connected with a demonic thread rather than a golden thread it's a demonic thread that's if we go with this I'm just offering that's if we go with this so uh, where am I now okay so we know that something came out of the ark that wasn't 100% human and we don't necessarily know who it was although I've got an idea and I'll, I'll give, give it to you um we know that it wasn't Noah. Why do we know it wasn't Noah? Thank you. That's brilliant. He's perfect in his generation, if that's what that means. So it wasn't him. Now, he doesn't say anything about Noah. Shem, Ham and Japheth were the boys, right? The sons. And they had three wives. But it does not say where they were from, which is an interesting one. Um... And if you remember, 
What was the main thing that God kept speaking and saying to the Israelites? They kept saying, whatever you do, you don't marry from a foreign nation. You stay within your own race. Now, it gets all really a bit weird because what you find, you remember I talked about Sethites? <laughs> well, you see, the thing is, right from the point of uh, Seth being born, right through till after the floods, what you've got is a line of pure Sethites because they all intermarried. So you made sure that you were getting a pure Sethite because you might marry your sister or whatever, but you got pure Sethite, right? But somehow on the boat is a non-Sethite, right? And uh, I'll get to it in a minute. I don't want to go too, too far ahead. But let's now talk about what? Um, so, when we get into the sons of Noah, in Genesis chapter 9, verse 18, it says, And the sons of Noah that went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, I need to cover this probably in more depth at, at another time. But just suffice it to say that Ham is then... In that same verse, is it up there? No, it's not. It says this, and Ham is the father of Canaan. Now, that's where we get the connection with Canaan, the place, and Canaan, the person. So the child of Ham is Canaan. Now, we know there's a problem because we know that he gets cursed for some reason, and we're going to go into it, but... I think we need to look at this a bit more, like I say, at another time, because the story basically goes that nowhere after the flood, and I'm not kidding you, I think if after the flood and I end up on dry land and I get rid of all the animals and I go into the tent, I'm going to open a bottle of wine and I'm going to get absolutely kale-eyed because I don't know. I think to expect him to be okay in his head is a bit wrong. I think we're very, very... Uh, Lacking in compassion for this poor man, right? So he gets himself absolutely kale-eyed. And then what we have is the story of two of his son, sons, Shem and Japheth, being very uh, compassionate, going in backwards because he'd got himself all naked, whatever he was doing, you know. But he got himself naked and the story goes, they put a cloth over him. But Ham basically... I'd seen it first and basically went and gossiped it all over the place. That's what it means when it says, uh, it says without. And told his two brothers without. It's a funny word, isn't it? What it really means is it was the word on the street. It was a gossiper. He didn't care about his dad's feelings. But, but even then, I still think that there's something more to this. And we're going to look at it another time. But let's say that that's just all that happened. Basically, Noah gets very upset about when he hears what's happened. And he says, cursed be Canaan. That was uh, his son's, Ham's son. So that's his grandson, Canaan, right? Um, like I say, I could say a lot about that and we haven't time, so we're just going to move on. What, what, what Ham had done, um, I think it has to be more than 
just seeing his dad naked and gossiping about it. But we've got to, got to look at that a little bit more, if that's okay. And I don't want to uh, do it quickly and then do it in injustice. But anyway, we know that Canaan ultimately becomes the, this home, the, 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 the place that's called after this guy becomes uh, the home of, the, of these giants. So basically what is suggested when you sort of do a lot of research is that just Ham was just a very wicked man. And I'm thinking, well, why, was, why did they say he was a wicked man? Then they make out, well, because he married a, a foreign wife. So it was his wife that basically Canaan had come from and she was not pure. Therefore, Canaan was maybe manifesting the hybridization of this non-100% human coming through. I don't know. That's, that's what... Uh, sorry? It's, that's what some people say. There is also another theory that they reckon... Get this. They reckon that the reason why Noah case, uh, cursed Canaan was because he was actually the son of Ham and his mother. Now, that might make a little bit more sense, but who knows? We'll see. We'll look into it all the more. We'll dig and dig and dig and find out. So, basically, the, the, even after the flood then, uh, we've, we find that the, after, obviously, years of, uh, um, that, that have to be born and grow up, uh, they were there. So, um, Noah only had sons because a lot of the uh, line from Adam through past Noah, um, they had sons and daughters, but it's very interesting that Noah only had sons. And that's why I said the Sethites were uh, interbred because the sons would marry their sisters to keep it okay. So poor old Noah... No, but think about it, he only had sons. So where is, they were going to have to find wives from elsewhere. And that's why potentially the, there was an issue here. But anyway, um, okay, let's just look at this then. We've got the, uh, hang on, let me just find where I'm going now. Uh, sorry about this. Um, Right, this is where I want to go. Ham's sons. We find that Ham's got three sons. One is called Cush. One is called Mizraim. And the other one is called Canaan. We've talked about Canaan. Now, Cush gives birth. Well, he didn't. It would be his wife who would give birth. But to a guy called Nimrod. And this is what's really interesting. Do you know when I was studying this over the last couple of weeks, I put the TV on, and you, well, you will believe it because I'll tell you. I put the TV on, and it was the BBC News, and there was a guy, a soldier from, I think it must have been an American soldier, stood next to a road sign that said Nimrod. And it's actually the place that's named after Nimrod, because he's not an imaginary person. He is a, a, 
he's, he's written up in many different things, not only in the Bible, but the Bible actually only gives him a couple of verses, which is very sad. If you look in other books, like the book of Enoch and the book of Jasher, you get his old story. It's quite amazing, which again, I, I am sad that we've kept, like I said at the beginning about the closed canon, it's a pity that we haven't owned ourselves up to, to actually be, be, be more um, accepting of, of, of more information from other sources because it might fill in a lot more hole, uh, holes that we have. So anyway, we get Nimrod and we'll talk about him a lot more another time. But what we basically have to do is talk about the verse that is given about Nimrod, um, if I can find it. Oh, it's up there. It's all right. But anyway, let's just read this. Um, yeah, I've said that. I've said that. I've said that. Right. And Cush begat Nimrod. And listen to what it said about him. He began. Oh, sorry. This is Genesis 10. If you want to put it up, you don't have to. It says he, be, he began. This is interesting. He began to be a mighty one in the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Wherefore it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. Now what's interesting about that is that before does not mean before the Lord I am a mighty hunter. It means I'm absolutely a rebel against you and I want nothing to do with you. He was absolutely an enemy of God, but that would make it look as though he was one of God's best but in fact, he wasn't. There was, a, there was a hatred. And in fact, the reason why we know there's a problem, it says this. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. And actually, he was the first king of Babylon, was Nimrod. And we can talk about that another time. And we know that Babylon is a picture in the Bible of all that is opposite of God's kingdom. It's opposite is that making sense? We know that's what it is. And this Nimrod was the first king of Babylon. So we know there's something wrong here. Remember, Ham, Cush, and Cush has Nimrod. Now, here we go. Um, it means his name is, is to rebel. Now, you have to talk just for a few minutes about Babel itself. And I said this, uh, right, uh, I think one of the very first weeks we were talking. If you are going to build a tower to the heavens there has to be something going on more than just building a tower for God to get very upset and come and smash it to bits and confuse everybody surely if God is God and he sees a whole bunch of little people you know human beings building a tower um is is no reason to get cross unless there's something are you getting me there has to be something more now you see if it's true that Nimrod was of the, of the, uh, the um, DNA or the gene pool of these fallen angels, then that would be a good reason why whatever he was getting together with the people of the earth and leading the people of the earth, it was creating something that was a real problem. It wasn't just normal, it was supernatural. And it, it got into God's territory rather than it just being a, being a tower. So anyway, let's have a look here. So he began to be a, a mighty one on the earth. And like we say, he, 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 built, Bab he built Babel. And of course, Babel was the, the place where 
uh, it says then in Deuteronomy, it says when he scattered, this is when God scattered uh, Babel, the people were divided into the nations and each of the sons of God was given a, a nation to uh, be in charge over and Yahweh was appointed Israel. That's Deuteronomy 32, I think. I can give it you if you, you need, but we have covered it in other weeks. So we get where that's a part of the dividing amongst the, uh, the, the uh, sons of God, which were the heavenly beings. And it doesn't, doesn't say whether they're good or bad. It's just that we're given charge over the nations. Okay, moving on. Um, right. Mizraim, uh, this is another son of Ham. He begat Ludim. Great names, aren't they? And guess who came out of him? Philistine. Philistim. The Philistines came out of that son. So out of the three sons with Goliath, that's brilliant. So we all know about David and Goliath. Goliath was a Philistine and he was one of the relations of Ham. Um, then the next thing we've got is, um, oh, and of course Canaan, which is, you've got your land uh, called after Canaan, and we've already touched on that. But basically that place, if we follow this line of thinking, that's the reason why God had said, obliterate it all, because it's filled with such, uh, not just evil in the sense of, people making mistakes it was a spirit a murderous spirit that was uh brought from this line now there's, there seems to be two lines then there's the seed of the woman and there's the seed of the serpent right from the beginning and we can talk about uh this some more um but then you see when you look at what happens then as the lineage moves on from Nimrod all his cousins and I, I love all these names because, you know, I was brought up on them, but some of you guys, uh, you know, never heard of them before. But the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Gegesites, the uh, Gergesites. Yeah, I've already said that, haven't I? Right. So all the ites came out of the cousins of Nimrod. And what you have is a a uh, supernatural group that are constantly trying to muck up the plan of a pure seed so that the Messiah might be, might be born. Where am I now? So, like I said at the beginning, this is all about seed. And I think that there's a lot to, to look at here in the context of... Um, it, this only dawned on me as I was getting in the car because I'm thinking, okay, we've got that story, but where do we go from here? The point is it's about seed and about how that if we look now, even in the context of the church, of how we talk about life and how we do Christianity and how we do church, if you think about it, we've still never got away from this um, cosmic war that is still going on between something and God. Now, whether you want to call it the Nephilim, the giants, the um, 
you know, the, the Anunnaki or whatever, or call it demon activity or whatever, you're, it's still the same story that's saying that there is this fight that's going on for, for God to be, be failed and for something else to, to win. That's the story, isn't it? Now, but that causes me a problem because I think to myself then, well, what was the point of the cross? Because if in Christ, um, what, what's, give me the scripture of the, of the um, in, in Abraham's seed. Or oh, do you want to just finish off for me? <laughs> no, it's the one about in Abraham's, if, you're in, if we are Christ's, then we're all Abraham's seed. So this is about seed. And, and you know, in, we've, we've talked about many times how there's two of everything. There's two trees. There's two nations. There's two mountains. There's two suns. But there's also two seeds. And these seeds, there's the seed of the serpent and there's also the seed of uh, Seth which was the one who from that line was going to come the Christ. Now, I believe that um, just as in the flood, the, um, the Nephilim or the fallen angels were taken into chains and put somewhere waiting for, for the judgment, I actually believe that what happened on the cross was Christ actually calling time on all the other little loose ends that were, and I believe that that's all been taken care of. Now, I know that he doesn't look like it. I know he doesn't feel like it, but, but that has to be what I believe about Jesus. Or otherwise, it's, it's almost like, well, what was the point then? There's got to be something that says he was, whatever was left un, untied up, it was like, this is the end of it. Because it says about him bruising his heel, but it would crush the serpent's head. And so we have to believe that in that, in the, in that um, something very powerful was happening in the context of the cross. So I've brought you that because if we want to make sense of the flood in a different way, you can say actually the flood was because there was a bigger story going on that needed to be dealt with and it was to do with these fallen angels um, now, like I say, we're going to have to go back now and talk about how those angels were fallen. Were they fallen? Oh, I don't know. We'll have to have a look. So I'm going to give it to Anthony now. He can bail me out. You don't need bailing out. That was good, wasn't it? Those are things that you're not going to hear most places, but I think it's helpful because uh, it starts to unpack some of the, you know, the, it's like I've said to you, one of the reasons that we've gone down this track is because um, Paul was a sharp guy. I, the more I understand some of this, the more I can see some of the questions Paul was wrestling with. I'll explain some of that next week. Um, but he made this statement, if we measure ourselves against ourselves, we are not wise, which is a great statement. It's very, very... Um, very, a very intelligent statement because if, if within the confines of an exclusive group we measure ourselves within our ex exclusivity, uh, then we always come up okay because there's nothing to countermeasure that. And uh, that's why the church becoming a subculture is dangerous 
The church being closed in in its thinking is dangerous because all we do then is measure ourselves against ourselves. And of course, we always look okay because of that. Um, Whereas when we start to introduce some of these questions, because my point there was most of you who've ever talked to people about faith, about your faith, about God, will have come up against questions like, okay, so where did Adam's sons get his wives from? And all those kind of things, which... You know, we think people are being facetious, but actually they are, they are, some people are, but they're also legitimate questions like Chris has dealt with here about all this men of renown. See, see, we have an issue because we think, we think myth is only myth because somebody made up a story. When actually the, the root of most myth is truth that has then been taken into a story And as that has become legend, we get myth and legend, and then we get get the stories that we have that become mythological stories, which we are fools to dismiss just as being totally the invention of people's minds. Because actually, it would appear, when Chris starts to lay this stuff out, um, that those myth and those legends do have some basis... Um, in reality, and that's what we're wrestling with. But but myth and legend are not going to save you or change your life. We have to find within that, where does truth come in? All the stories of humanity, all that we've been wrestling with, where, where does truth emerge in all of that? And, and I believe the one thing I know is that the gospel is not about heaven and hell. You know, that's not what the gospel is about. The gospel is about this. It's about this, the restoration of all things. Now, that's, that's a big thing to explain, but we're going to wrestle with it. So, so next week, um, I want to pick up from Chris and, and what we're going to talk about, because she's beautifully laid the foundation, is we're going to talk about, going to talk about the seed. Very important. And for some of you who know anything about Bible now, your brain will be going pop, 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 because you realize how many times... Uh, in throughout Scripture, this business of the seed keeps popping up. It's a big key. It's a huge key to understanding now about the restoration of all things. So, so that's what we're going to pick up on uh, uh, next week, and looking forward to um, looking forward to uh, addressing that. Okay, when she was talking about Nimrod, I was talking about Zog. Which one's Zog on? He's on. He's that's that's Toy Story, isn't it? Emperor Zog. <laughs> I kept asking her if she's going to talk about Emperor Zog tonight, and you didn't cover that. But I think he's the descendant of Nimrod. So thanks. I, th- I think that's great. So, so Lord, just help, our, help us in our hearts to, uh, to track this thing, because what we want to be is part of the restoration of all things. Whatever that looks like, however that occurs, we don't want to be part of the world's problem. We want to be part of the world's solution and uh, we know that you have a solution released down the ages, hitting us through Christ, coming out of the empty tomb into a new way of being that we, uh, we want to fully understand. So help us to grasp it in Jesus' name. Amen. And we're done.
Thanks for listening. You might not be aware that The Rock is funded completely through donations from people like yourself. So if you feel like you're part of our community, it would be great if you could make a contribution by visiting our website at www.rockofyork.co.uk and just click on the donate button for more information. Thanks again. Thanks again.